joining us on another episode of Popcorn for Breakfast. With me, as always, your co-host, Kirk. Hello, hello. <laughs> what you doing, Kirk? What you doing? Oh, much like the movie that we are reviewing, I am just looking up. Oh, you're just looking up. Yes. Your hashtag just look up. Is that right? Yes, because looking down is not a good look on me. <laughs> I, I I was confused, but now I get what you're going for there. I'm your other co-host, Cam. As Kirk has just alluded to, this is a movie review episode, and we will be reviewing in full detail the Netflix original film. Well, I don't even know if I can say that. The Netflix Studios film, Don't Look Up, because it is a Netflix original film. But it did go to theaters for a very brief period of time before it went to Netflix. That was real strange. I guess because the Academy is what they're going for there, which we'll decide. We actually will decide today if it's worthy. We're the final final say on if it will make the Academy. But Kirk and I both watched it. It's available on Netflix. I think it, um, you know, the first, I forget. It had like 152 million hours of streaming within the first something I don't know. First weekend, week, maybe weekend week, something like that. Um, so it did very well. It's been a hot topic of conversation due to the political nature of the film. Uh, but we will be talking about this film for its merit as a piece of art, a piece of cinema, as we often do. Um, sure, the political message will come into play. I'm sure, but not today. Not today. We're going to steer clear of that. <laughs> there is no politics here. There's no um, talk of global warming. There's no talk of any of that here. Yeah, well, no. I mean, we we never share our political leanings because politics are dumb and stupid, and and we hate them. But um, we'll we will talk about whether it effectively argued its political points or whatever, you know, for the, again, for, for cinema, we'll talk about it. Uh, <laughs> I'm apparently Italian whenever I say that, I guess, cause I'm Scorsese. This is cinema, you know, the meme. Um, but yeah, we'll be reviewing. Don't look up. So without further ado, let's get into it. The film. Don't look up. I am your synopsis this week for, so for those of you who are rooting for, Kirk to be synopsing. I sincerely apologize. I know he's a fan favorite, but we're reviewing a film called Don't Look Up on Netflix. Has a very star-studded cast, including Leo DiCaprio, Jennifer Lawrence, Meryl Streep, Jonah Hill, um, Timothy Chalamet, Ariana Grande. The list goes on and on and on and on. Can we pause real quick? Sure. Because if you're watching this on YouTube right now, the Photoshop that's happening in this image that you've pulled up is horrifying. It's real bad. Yeah. <laughs> absolutely horrifying. Whoever did it should be fired immediately. Um, I mean, we have some super warped faces, most notably Kate Blanchett's <laughs> face. She looks like the Cheshire cat. That is not her real smile. Like it has been exaggerated to the 10th <laughs> degree. <laughs> she does not look like that. Oh, and I'm someone who doesn't like her that very much. I know like, you're not a Kate Blanchett nice. fan. You're not. Yeah, like that's rude. Like she doesn't look like that. I she does. She did a great job in this movie. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, on. it's a good point. So if you're watching on YouTube, you get full, full taste of that. If not, you should be watching on YouTube. You should give it a try. Uh, we are all of our you episodes be are available on YouTube. Watching on YouTube on mute and playing it. Oh, like those <laughs> guys at audio. the baseball stadium who have the radio going. <laughs> <laughs> See, <laughs> while they I watch the double, game. 
I want people to double dip into our, our numbers. I want them yeah. for, I want Chase, I'm a, sorry, YouTube hits, yes. YouTube views, but podcast um, downloads. Exactly. That's what I, I love want. it. Yeah. Just sync up the audio. We should start doing that. I, I like it. Anyway, back to my synopsis, Kirk, before <laughs> oh, I was so rudely interrupted. I'm so sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Don't Look Up is a film, uh, it's a crisis film about two. Uh, astronomers, one who's a PhD student and one who's uh, a doctor and professor, Leonardo DiCaprio. The PhD student is Jennifer Lawrence. They discover a an asteroid, a comet that is approaching Earth and coming straight for it. And because of that, they get wrapped up into this whole whirlwind of having to communicate their findings to the President of the United States and then because of the way that that meeting goes with the president of the United States, spoiler alert, doesn't go well. Um, they have to launch a full-scale media campaign, and it evolves into this whole big, big thing that Kirk alluded to of like hashtag uh, just look down or just look down and don't don't look up or don't look up and just look up or something like that. I don't know something like that. Um, yes. So. That is, that's the movie effectively is, and, and the way that it all ends because we do full spoiler review is that the, the planet blows up. So that's sort of the thesis of the film is like people don't pay attention to things that are happening. It's definitely a very, very, very thinly veiled allegory for climate change. Um, and in the end the planet blows up and that is the end of the story. So Kirk, let's dive into it. And let's start with our acting superlatives. For me, my Oscar for the best actor in this film goes to Mr. Leonardo DiCaprio, um, who I thought was a surprise casting in this film. I just thought it was interesting for him. This movie was always going to be on Netflix from the very from its very inception. Leo has not worked with Adam McKay before. Adam McKay, the director of this, he's directed The Big Short. He directed Vice. Step Brothers, Talladega Nights. Uh, he's he's been around the block and has had some some recent critical acclaim of late for things like The Big Short. But I was surprised to see Leo in this movie. But the thing about Leo is, it doesn't matter the character, it doesn't matter the movie. He's always going to bring it. He's always going to bring his best effort in this film. He played a I feel like a pretty different role than he usually does in general. Like he was the introverted professor who's like, you know, typically very modest, shy, like doesn't like to talk about his work in detail, like doesn't want to take too much credit, like just wants to do the work and then is thrust into the the full throes of this media campaign and ends up getting swept up in it and you know, cheats on his wife and has this whole like sexy doctor thing. Like it's a whole thing. Um, but I thought at every stage that Leo was, was great. And, and was one of the main reasons that this movie kept you interested the whole way, because his character was, you know, along with Jennifer Lawrence, I think that the two main protagonists of the story were just really well acted and well done. And, uh, despite, what I think were some really strange plot choices for his character. Um, he, he made it work and made a really consistent, well-crafted character development arc and character story. And it was still Leo in his prime, which feels like 
he has just been at the top of his game, you know, for the last, I don't know, 10 years or something. I mean, he's just been so, so good of late. I mean, I don't think this touches some of his recent performances in like the Revenant and, and obviously in once upon a time in Hollywood and things like that, but he's still so good. And I feel like that's more because the subject matter sort of let him down more so than his work as an actor. So for me, it's Leo. I thought he was spectacular as per usual. No surprise there. Well, let's keep this love bombing going, Cam, because my pick is also Leo DiCaprio. You know, way back in my college years, there was this uh, director who said, if you were an actor, whose career would you like? And for some strange reason, because the only other blonde actor I could think of, I chose Aaron Eckhart, who is a fine actor, but it's not (laughs) of the caliber that I wish these days. I should have picked Leo DiCaprio. At times, I feel like I look like him. I hope so. I can only hope to because this man does something so incredible. Every piece that he comes across, he doesn't have to do this major makeover. He doesn't have to do this, uh, this, this crazy um, body changing, but he becomes the character that he's supposed to be, whether that's in small differences in his physicality, not major ones, these small nuance changes to his vocals, not heavy accent changes. And he does so, so professionally and so perfectly that I can never quite put my finger on it. In this, you had, you had a very, um, uh, a very parallel scene of of a, of a panic attack that we saw very much so a giant one in one of my favorite performances of his in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, but it was completely different top to bottom. And one could even say that it's it's a similar role, but it's not. And I still haven't watched this movie enough to digest how different he is from all of his other roles as of recent, uh, because as an actor, you get into a class uh, when you get to a certain age and you, the, the, the decade can kind of define you. Well, no one will look back at any of Leo's movies and remember what year any of them came back. Uh, except the beach, which will forgive him for that film. Uh, but everything else, he's been so focused on making a sincere and honest performance. And we get nothing less than that here. So Leo, you knocked it out of the park again. Bravo. He sure did. He sure did. And I think that there's going to be, you know, unsurprisingly award consideration for Leo for this film. I mean, he's always in the conversation whenever he has a project come out. And I think that this, this performance is just as good. I like your comment about how Leo is not one of these shape shifting actors. He's not, he's not a Christian Bale. He doesn't alter his total appearance and voice and things like that for his performances. And yet he still manages to transform and, to suck you into a different world, which is an actor's job. So really, really well done by Leo as per usual. Let's get into scene stealer. This movie had a very broad assortment of high caliber talents, very different roles going around. So let's talk about our favorites. For me, it was Jonah Hill. And the reason that it was Jonah Hill, um, who plays president Orlean's son and uh, chief of staff, <laughs> uh, he, was the only funny character in this whole movie. And and that's, it's a satire. So it was desperately, desperately needed. I thought, obviously, at times, his character was very heavy-handed um, in terms of the types of laughs that he went for and was, like, very caricatured, like, to oblivion, but was still so funny because Jonah Hill's delivery is just, 
I think unparalleled, it, you know, it's so unique and so different. He manages to, to bring it home every time. I mean, he's been doing this since super bad. Like the way that he delivers is just only he can do it. And he was such a breath of fresh air in this movie that needed more lightness. It needed more jokes. And when he was on screen, he was providing the jokes literally single handedly. And, um, he really helped this movie through some, what could have been some really rough patches. Um, and there were rough patches, but I think he, he was much, much needed. So for that point alone, and the fact that it had to be Jonah Hill in that role for those jokes to even land, um, I got to give it up to him because he's just, you know, it's, it's, it's almost like a relief pitcher in baseball. He comes in, he's got one job in this movie. He, he did it to a T nothing fancy, nothing crazy. Just him being his hilarious self doing this, the same thing he's been doing for a long time, but it totally worked and was definitely needed in this movie. So for me, scene stealer, Jonah Hill, no contest. Yes, what you said there specifically about Jonah is that no one does it like him. No one can say those lines like him. Of course, he improved very much, as we know from the publicity of this and J Law, like frustrated in a in a positive way, like couldn't couldn't stop laughing at him from all the stuff he was pulling off. And what J what J uh, oh my gosh what Jonah what's called him Jonas like a Jonas brother. <laughs> I'm so sorry. The fourth Jonas. <laughs> Jonah Jonas. Yes, please put that on the next SNL skit every next time you host Jonah. Uh, what I we find that Jonah has is his own rhythm, uh, an unmatched rhythm in comedy. And that's why he stood out. So excellent point. Excellent point, Cam. I got to say, I did not expect this one for me. My scene stealer is actually going to Jennifer Lawrence. Um, it's cliche to pick the top two sometimes of a movie. We do it. Um, but I had to pick her. I really didn't expect to to do that. But in this in this satirical movie and in this strange, absurd event that's happening, you get these moments where she is just in her own head trying to not explode herself and you get these sincere moments of internalization that we get to see her uh, battle right front and center on her face. And I thought the control that she used specifically in those moments uh, in the in the Oval Office in uh, on on screen where she does explode on the morning show um, and then again um, in in like the war room, if you will, there are these big moments where she is grappled with, I have to help. I know I can help, but I have no power. And those that power struggle that she goes through, that's what won it over for me. Um, there are moments in this movie where where she's just saying her lines um, to no fault of her own. But those moments that she knew she needed to land, she got them. And bravo, J-Law. Yeah, good call. J-Law was great. She really was. I, I, she's she's so solid. And, and the only thing that I dinger for here is that she was kind of typecast for this role. Like I feel like it's very similar to the role that she kind of played in silver linings playbook in a way. And some roles that she's played before in like, in well, in David O. Russell films, like, uh, like in, uh, not joy, but, uh, American hustle, um, and some of the others. So that was my only knock, but she, she's so solid and so good. I'm, I'm glad that she's back. I know she had a, you know, a hiatus there for a while, but she is one of the great talents that we have. And it's, it's, it's better when she's on the screen. She does, she does incredible work. So good job highlighting that Kirk. Let's talk about showstopper, which was the thing that, um, 
sort of knocked our socks off, I guess is what I always say. The thing that about the production that really stuck out. Um, what I really liked were, and it's, it's becoming more of Adam McKay's style recently to do like these very non sequitur type things in his movies where he has these either transitions or like very meta scenes that help break up the movie. And in this movie, the way that he did that was with these scenes of like random cuts of existence on earth, like a two second clip of an elk, (laughs) a, a three second clip of like, people swinging on their porch or something, you know, like all of these little moments, like someone blowing bubbles. It was almost like a, like a (laughs) commercial for one of those medicines that has all the horrible side effects. It was just like really nice pictures of like the small things in life and what it was meant to symbolize. Um, Perhaps not that veiled again. It's just like, think about how precious existence is. Even all these little tiny things that we take for granted are part of this world. And, Uh, You know, if something like this were to happen, that would all be gone too. It wouldn't just be us. Like all of that stuff that we like, that's just these little tiny things would be gone forever. And that to me was sort of the most impactful part of the movie in a way. Like (laughs) there's no dialogue, no nothing. And there's just, they're just these like 15, 20 second transitions. But it was an effective way to say like, those things seem insignificant, but like think about how cool that is and think about how cool life on earth is. And and as a satire and as a film that is, you know, a politically charged, you know, purpose driven type of movie, it needs to drive home some messages. And, and strangely that bit of transition work that was done was the, perhaps the most effective message to drive home, which is don't take for granted uh, the little things that we, we all take for granted. So um, that was my favorite part of the movie and, and the movie was well produced. It was, you know, it looked good. It was, um, well acted for the most part and well structured, but I think, or, well, I don't necessarily say well structured, but <laughs> it was, it, it was a good professional looking movie. It wasn't off the wall crazy with its structure and narrative and things like that. But that part is the thing that stuck out to me. So take that for what you will. Well, Cameron, your showstopper knocked my socks off. It knocked, it knocked oh, my socks off. Oh, it actually knocked your literally. socks off. Wow, look at that. These are white tube socks, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> Kirk was actually born in 1905. <laughs> <laughs> I found those in my, and I, those are the first pair of socks that I could find tonight. And I don't know why I own them, but they're quite comfy and quite warm. My showstopper has to be the first hour of this movie it is so tight it is so quick it has incredible comedy and it knows what it is in that first hour of this film we get a glimpse of every character we get just enough of them we don't get a fourth joke in this in this sense what i mean by that is that when you when you milk a joke too much you destroy the joke. And so you can do that in a round of three. Typically it's best if it's, if you want to stretch it through the whole film, you hit one and two relatively quickly and close together and you hit three near the end. Or if it's like a really small bit, go for it. One, two, three, done. We never get the fourth one, which would kill the joke. 
except for the second half of this movie, which I'll get to. But that first hour, I was like, yes, this is the return to form of our director, of our, of our creator, of our producer. This is something that we can all aspire to be in our satirical filmmaking and just in our filmmaking in general. The beats were planned, they were studied, they were careful, and everything made sense with the full progression of where we started in, in this movie, which was akin to... Um, uh, <laughs> to to Armageddon and Independence Day <laughs> of, of, oh my gosh, the world is ending, we're going to die, uh, which was perfect because that's familiar all the way up until the rocket launch and up until that little, that full section, bravo, the whole thing captured my attention, that whole hour wins my showstopper. I like it. I like it. I think that's, I think that's a good point. I think, I think that by the end of this movie, it like that feels so foreign, you know, because because the absurdity level goes up, you know, to the tenth degree. <laughs> and so thinking back to the beginning and how it all started, like feels like you're looking at a different planet or something. I feel it really feels like a totally different movie. So that's a good call. Um, let's move into director shoes and see what critiques we have for Mr. Adam McKay. I have two big ones, and, and they really sort of pull the rug out from underneath this movie for me, which is one, it's not funny. It, this movie is just not very funny. There are not enough laughs to make it work because at the end of the day, it's a satire. And in that second half of the movie, Kirk, that you did not talk about in your showstopper where things do get way, way more absurd, the laughs disappear and the laughs need to actually amplify whenever the absurdity increases up because they have to keep you laughing through the absurdity so that the satire is effective. If they can keep you laughing at it, then it's like, okay, the point that they're trying to make with all this absurdity is, you know, I get it. And it's funny and haha. And, and, you know, if you were on the other side of this issue, like maybe if you're thinking about this as an allegory for climate change, which it, it clearly is. And if you're on the other side of that issue, you might go, okay, I see what they're saying. Ha 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 ha. But instead it gets really, really absurd and it gets much less funny. And so the satire loses its effectiveness and then just becomes really obnoxious. You know, it becomes like a really obnoxious kind of absurd point that they're trying to make. And it starts to feel really heavy handed and clunky and um, unwieldy in nature. So that I think is one of the big problems. The second part is that, and, and what I said in my letterboxed review was this, Adam McKay either, and this is pretty harsh, but I would just, uh, this is what I said, Adam McKay either thinks he's really clever or he thinks his audience is really dumb or both because this is not a clever idea. This is not a very creative allegory and the points that he's raising in this movie are not ones that are particularly hard to come come by. They are all super well documented. And I'm not saying that you have to be the first person to come up with an idea to write a satire about it. Not at all. But if you want to make an effective satire, you have to you have to be able to effectively like the goal of the movie has to be to change people's minds. And this movie is changing no one's mind about anything. It's just not effective. The um, you know, like it's so it's not even veiled at all. So, so it doesn't, it doesn't work as a satire because you know what he's doing the whole time from the very beginning. 
And so you can immediately, if you're on the other side of this, you can immediately put your defenses up and go up. Oh, I see what this is not interested. This is not going to have any effect on me. Whereas a good satire should have you laughing the whole time. And then at the end you realize, or maybe at the end, sometimes in the middle you realize, Oh crap, I'm laughing for the wrong reasons. They're making fun of me. And this movie never has that moment because it's so clunky. And actually it comes across as someone who's very jaded, you know, like they have to be so obnoxious and arrogant with the way that they deliver their point that they can't even see the comedy in it anymore. And that's that was the problem that his last film, Vice, had. It was the exact same problem. Um, that and he really blurred the lines between like what is opinion and what like what he's passing off as opinion and what he's passing off as facts, like what he's passing off as a joke and what he's passing up off on truth. That was the other problem that Vice had. But they both had this problem where it was like they were so jaded in, you know, the way that they were created that it came across really obnoxious and arrogant and clunky and overbearing, which kills the effectiveness. And, and, and then at that point, it doesn't matter where you're at on this political issue, the movie loses its effectiveness entirely and it doesn't work. Luckily, the saving graces of this movie are the acting performances and the style of it, which is, you know, it's very nice to look at. It's very fast moving in nature, but those two things that I mentioned, the lack of comedy in the second half and the overall ineffectiveness of the satire and of the message really, really, really make it an uphill battle for this movie um, in the long run. It's so true. The laughs disappear. They absolutely disappear. And it's just bizarre to me. This king of comedy, this former SNL head writer can't keep us laughing through the second half of the movie. Like, come on, man. I mean, this is your job. <laughs> I mean, right. the biggest thing for me in as my director's shoes is the storytelling falls apart. There is a clear shift at the after that first hour where the rocket is launched. It's in the air, and then Mar- Mark Rylance's very absurd character oh as a Steve gosh. Jobs, uh, just like not even like a like a, a a funny take on him. Just a very strange. I mean, he almost seems like an SNL character. <laughs> like he would walk on in, in a skit. Like no one talks like that in real life. Not a single person. No one is as high functioning uh, in a role like that that talks specifically like that. There are people in roles like that who have too much power and are are uh, crazy, power hungry, evil, um, putting on the fake robot smile. But Mark Rylance... You missed the mark. You missed the mark, yeah, like, man. I'm that's so sorry. It's supposed to be a caricature for tech billionaires and yet doesn't resemble one at all, really. Like No, and had the whole movie been wrapped up more in absurdity in the first half when apps actually it was more grounded in realism the first hour, um, it would have played better, but that didn't come into play till later. So he didn't bridge that gap even to like lead us into the second half because it was so far out there. So that was an acting mistake and a directing mistake. Um, But here's what should have happened. Here's what does happen. Here's what should have happened. What does happen, the ship goes up, Mark Ryland says, hey, there's money in this. Turn that ship around, land him back here. No, absolutely not. There would have been more chaos, more panic that would have ensued if you let the ship keep going. It's that simple. Let it keep going. Let Ron Perlman get lost in space for the second half of this. (laughs) 
let him land on the moon or some other kind of distant planet and run into some aliens. Who cares? Let that ship get up there. Yep. The oh, the last saving grace uh, to stop this thing, but let it fail. Don't make a deliberate choice to turn him around. That made no sense on any level of any agenda. It just wasn't clever. Let him go up there. That's more natural for, for the chaos to ensue. And then let the ground panic. You could still have the, the silly, uh, sexy Dr. Leo things happen. You honestly still can because now you have a sense of, hey, we're all going to die. How do you want to live your life? So that still plays out and it still plays out with him growing in in his struggle with morality and with everyone else trying to still capitalize on the, the last days on Earth. It still plays. But there is a quarter, the third quarter of this movie that is so hard to watch because you're still trying to get past. Why did they launch the ship? And then land it with terrible CGI, <laughs> mind yeah. you. I mean, that part was so unforgivable for me. So unforgivable. To the point where you have Ron Perlman, you have this perfectly laid out... He is the absurd character that we needed. He really is. And he plays it well. He is the one who we should have grounded ourselves in and then ended with on the future, uh, which what a what a weird take that is indeed. Um, but that's my director's shoes. That that whole section literally ruined this movie for me. We get back to our um, uh, our our trail uh, when we see uh, Leo and J Law hook back up, and they say. Yep. Just look up and they see the meteor coming down, right? And it's it's actually a very powerful moment in the movie for when they start uniting the people. And then there's the clash of don't look up, just look up. Yeah. Yeah. Good, good point, Kirk. I think that moment is a perfect microcosm for how things kind of fall apart in this movie is like it can all be pointed to that moment. It's kind of like the jump the shark moment for a television show this is that's the moment that this movie falls off the rails and sort of loses everything it had going for it you know the the tight plot and narrative that it had going at least um you know then 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 the then you don't even have a great consistent narrative to go along with what i think is an ineffective uh message and thesis of the movie in general so with that let's get into final thoughts and scores for me um really disappointed with this one. I wanted it to be better. I really have enjoyed Adam McKay. And I think he's been one of the great satirists of our time. You know, if you think about Talladega nights and the big short, the big shorts, a great example, the whole time you're cheering for these guys. And then halfway through, he twists it on you and goes, Hey, we shouldn't be cheering for these guys. They're betting on this whole thing to fail. They're betting on people to lose their houses. And those characters even realize it. It's really well done. Um, this is not. I mean, his most recent two entries into his portfolio, Vice and this, are just totally missing the mark. He, I think he's still lost his sense of humor. Maybe he's jaded. I don't know. Um, it's not It's not working right now for him, and this was another one that didn't work. It's ineffective. I think it's quite an arrogant, obnoxious film that doesn't trust its audience, does the opposite, which is to really kind of, talk down <laughs> to its audience like see dummies this is what's happening with climate change <laughs> and you're so stupid that i'm gonna make this look really really obvious that this is climate change just so you don't miss it like it's really insulting and i 
I love when a filmmaker could trust their audience. Like I, I, I lauded Jane Campion for doing that with power of the power of the dog. Just like, it's a hard thing for a writer to do, but it is a totally unmistakably unforgivable thing to do to talk down to your audience and tell them that they're so dumb that I'm going to give you this really unclever thing just so your small brain can figure it out. Like that for me is really hard. The saving grace obviously is, um, the, the great cast, the production values pretty high. It looks good. It is a little on the long side. So you're really struggling to get through the end of that movie. But, um, it does just hold it together, but I'm still giving it a 3.9 out of 10 kernels. So that's my score on don't look up Kirk. You're up my friend. Holy cannoli. Holy cannoli. 3.9. 3.9. Wow. Wow. That's, that's something that is something. Uh, I want to be clear that I don't know enough uh, sincerely and honestly about climate change. I know that uh, that we do need to to do our part, but I don't know the effects that are happening. I don't know. I've not done the research myself, which we always encourage people to do. Don't listen to one person or someone who necessarily has the tallest soapbox um, on either side of any of any issue. So just find your own way. Find your own way. But I gotta say, I really love the core of this movie. Again, I was so high on this for the first hour and as soon as they came back together and there was the conflict of don't look up just look up i still loved that despite whatever side you're on that you know they they obviously have the red trump hats who cares like this is that is relevant right that is the divisive america that we live in and it was actually really cool to see that come back into play so it it just wandered it wanted to be too many things and it lost me Unfortunately, I do think that this actually could have been quite a home run uh, had that whole, again, third quarter fixed itself. I kid you not, guys. I've said this before. I will probably say this once every four episodes. Cam and I really, really need to be consultants on movies (laughs) because... I don't know. And, and maybe we'll get lost along the way after we live the Hollywood bright but life. But we will we still get... like the movies and that's all that matters. <laughs> that's right. Wine and dine us. Pay us millions of dollars, please. Um, but I really do think that these, these people who have been in show business for too long forget their audience. Like Cam said, they, they don't trust them. They think they're really stupid. And there is a, you know, maybe there's a, a, a corner of the world that knows way less than me. But for the most part, your average moviegoer and then people who know way more than me, they're tuned into this, at least the baseline of it. And that's what's frustrating about this movie, because it could have been a contender. It really could have been. And I think the performances are what highlight this and make it seem better than it is. And again, that first hour, I'll say it the last time. This movie, because of those things, it gets a 5.8 out of 10. It does not cross into greatness. It is just very blah. But the second half of this movie is rough. It is a rough, rough time. Definitely not rewatchable. Good luck to all of the possible nominees at the Academy Awards. If they get there. I think there's a chance it gets nominated. I, I thought vice was just as unwieldy 
and really creatively insane. <laughs> you know, like he took that whole non sequitur thing with vice to such an insane level to where like large parts of that movie made no sense. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and that movie got nominated. And I was I about fell out of my chair. I was so floored. And and again, it's not a political thing. It's just like, as a film, just, <laughs> that movie just did not work. And in my opinion, yeah. this one doesn't work. But you never know, man. With the Academy, it's 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 a political organization, and so unfortunately, sometimes that comes into it. Um, the big names help. I mean, Meryl Streep's in this movie. Kate Blanchett's in this movie. Leo, J Law, etc. Et Meryl Streep sorely horrifically underutilized yeah I yeah mean, oh yeah wrong role altogether it was altogether. it was all it was all wrong um Kate Blanchett one of my favorite roles of hers honestly I she was great she yeah she was great, great. Job. she was great there there was I don't like her <laughs> <laughs> there were some bright spots in it it's just the movie did not work um but want to hear your thoughts this is a highly controversial film at least as far as I can gather on social media, people about to rip each other's throats out about it. I say, here's a crazy thought. Take the politics out of the discussion and let's just talk about if the movie's good or not. And right. if it if it argues its point effectively, and then we can get into the politics. But you know, nobody wants to do that on social media. But that's don't look up. That's Adam McKay's latest Netflix original film. You can check it out on Netflix. It's still there. It's not disappearing anytime soon. Um Thank you guys so much for tuning in and for listening to this episode or watching on YouTube. Uh, as a reminder, you can always connect with us on social media. You can subscribe to our YouTube channel. Um, you can go on to Discord and join our notification squad to be notified when new YouTube videos drop and when new streams go live. Other than that, we got to give a special thanks to our executive producer, Ryan Spriggs, and the band Rhetoric, who creates all of our original music. Love those guys. You can check them out on Spotify, Apple Music, etc. But we will see you guys next week. Talk to you then. <laughs>